got a very quick word for tonight. And just not really following on from this evening, but in the same theme this, this, this evening, did I say this evening? This morning. If you were here this morning, we spoke about the kingdom of God, and we've actually been speaking about it at Insight for quite a few weeks. Um, this morning, we focused on Jesus' teachings being the, the governing principles of which we live by as, as kingdom citizens. And so Jesus came to the earth as a king, remember, and he, he came to establish his kingdom. He came to teach us the way to live in his kingdom. And so when he's king of our hearts, we, we obey him, we walk in the fullness of what he has for our lives. But the thing about the kingdom of God, it's just like, it's such, it's such a broad subject. And there's so many aspects to the kingdom of God. And you can just take like one of those parables of Jesus where the kingdom of God is like, in like a mustard seed, you know, and it just like, poof, you can spend like 500 weeks just on that one thing, you know, and then the kingdom of God is like this. And it's like, it, there's so many aspects. And so tonight I wanna focus on, on another aspect of the kingdom of God. And it's found, or rather it's described really well in Psalm 145. And so if you go with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145, we're gonna read verse 13. And it says this, talking about the kingdom. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I'll say it again. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And so firstly we see here, it says that God's kingdom is everlasting. Once it had been initiated, which we know it has been, remember that, very important, the kingdom of God is now. It's not to come, it's already here. It's already been established in the heavens. It's already been established on this earth. And so once God did this, there would be no end to his kingdom. You remember this morning we, we read Isaiah chapter nine in verse one to seven, and it says that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And so when we look at the kingdoms of this world, even the kingdom of Satan himself, all those kingdoms will come to an end. We look at the great kingdoms of the past, right, of the kingdom of Egypt and the kingdom of Babylon, and they would build these majestic cities and have these vast armies, and they would conquer nations, Rome and all these people. All of those kingdoms came to an end. All of the kingdoms that we see today, these, these major political powers, these major influences, their influence will come to an end their power will come to an end. Like I said, even Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of darkness through which he works, his kingdom will come to an end. We know that Jesus will come and he will judge him and he will be thrown into the fiery lake to burn. See, hell is not our punishment, it's his punishment. We got this, it's, we got this weird idea and I think we get it from media it's like that's his 
place of paradise where he reigns, you know, it's like his capital city. And he, we, like, people get to burn the fire there and he's having a good time poking them with his fork. That's not what the Bible says. That's his torment. He's burning, suffering, screaming out for mercy to God in the lake of fire. And so all that he's built up in this earth and we, we see the works of his kingdom. I mean, you just open, your, open a news article and you see the works of the kingdom of darkness. All of that will come to an end. But God's kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. It's an everlasting kingdom. So it's this beautiful thing that we see, or just kind of like, I'm trying to think of the right word, go through, <laughs> I can't think of the word. Um, when Jesus comes again, he wraps up the earth. You know, it's like the kingdom is here, but it continues on. The kingdom does, as we know it, it doesn't stop when Jesus comes. He says, okay, guys, I'm starting a new kingdom now. You know, that previous one wasn't so cool. But, you know, he says the kingdom that we have now, it continues through into eternity. And so there's no timeline in this kingdom, like I was saying this morning, that the, the, the reality of the kingdom that we spend in eternity with Him is the reality that we begin to experience now. The reality of the kingdom that we experience now is the reality of the kingdom that we will experience then. That, does that make sense to you? So it's an everlasting kingdom. It'll go on forever and ever and ever. There has never been a king like that, ever. Every king has died, but our king rose again. Jesus. And that's why it just carries on and on and on. So it's an everlasting kingdom. There's an interesting passage of scripture in Jude. And I'll read it for you in Jude chapter one. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude. <laughs> Jude verse 25, it says this. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, describing the kingdom, be glory, be majesty, be dominion and authority. Listen to this. Before all time and now and forever. I read again such a powerful scripture. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time. His kingdom reigned before the earth was created. His kingdom was enduring. Even on when Jesus came to the earth, it's now, the kingdom is now and the kingdom will be forever. So it's an everlasting kingdom. We go back to Psalm 145. The next thing he tells us there, it says this, is that your dominion endures through generations, or your dominion endures throughout all generations. That word dominion, it talks about a force. It talks about a power. It talks about an authority. It talks about a display of might. And I love that we sang that song tonight, talking about the authority of Christ. One word, that's the dominion of Christ. That's the dominion of His kingdom. One word from Christ one word from God, like this, in a moment, changes everything. No matter, like it can be like the absolute worst circumstance, the most horrible thing that ever happened. He just shows up 
in his, in his royal majesty, he shows up as the king of glory. And it's just like all of, all of earth, all of heaven just bows. He stands up on his throne. Everything comes into subjection. He, we, it's, it's almost hard to grasp that the magnitude of the dominion of Christ the magnitude of his authority, the magnitude of his glory, the magnitude of his power. We, we read Revelation and, and it kind of gives us a glimpse where they just, it says like the, the elders, they just constantly, they just fall down on their face. They, they, they can't even stand in the presence of this king and they just sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the angels circle around the throne and they just sing the song. They, they can't even say anything else but holy. We see it even in, in Isaiah. He, God gives him a glimpse of the throne room. What's his response? He hits the deck and says, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I see your glory and I'm undone before you. Nothing, nothing can stand. I think we sang that. Like he's matchless. Yeah, we did. Matchless in all his ways. This is our king. And so his kingdom it is, is, a, it, it, it is a dominion that endures throughout all generations. In other words, it cannot be defeated and it cannot be overthrown. And I think that's where Satan thought he had won. He thought he had overthrown. Jesus came in as the king of heaven. He came in as the king of the Jews. And Satan's warlock, I'm gonna take this king out. And so he, he puts him on the cross and he crucifies him and he thinks he's won the battle. He thinks he's defeated the king of kings. He thinks he's defeated the Lord of heaven. Imagine all, all the demons having this huge party. Like, yeah. We did it, you know, we finally, we won victory over this guy who's been tormenting us forever. And then he rises up in his glory. He rises up defeating even death itself. He's undefeatable. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Psalm 2, right? Listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. In other words, it's like, if you were to say, it's like all the nations are coming together and they're declaring war against God. They set themselves against him. They counsel together. They, they form a strategy and say, this is how we're going to take him out. This is how we're going to take out the God of heaven. This is how we're going to overthrow his kingdom. And it says, and it says this, against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But listen to God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. It's like, really? <laughs> all the nations in all their power, all their military weapons and all their great strategy and great wisdom come against the Lord. His response is to laugh at them. 
Hashem, you don't understand, you little kings of the earth. He just lifts his pinky and they all, his dominion endures. He cannot be overcome. There's this, do you guys remember that story um, in 1 Samuel? Just talking about the dominion of God where they capture the ark. Does everyone remember that story? Let me, let me read. They capture the ark, the Philistines capture the ark and they take the ark into the temple of their God, um, Dagon. And so, hopefully I can find it. Oh, there we go, yeah. So, they, so the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, um, Israel would take it into battle. It represented the power, it represented the dominion, it represented the authority, it was the presence and the glory of God Himself. And so they would take it with them into battle. And so Israel was in disobedience and so he, God allowed the Ark to be captured from them. And so the Philistines captured the Ark and they were like, ah, we've captured their God. You know, it's like we've defeated the, the Israelites and we've captured their God. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant, this, this glory of God, and they put it in the temple of their God, whose name is, is Dagon, right? And so we'll, we'll catch it here in chapter five. It says this, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So they put the Ark of the Covenant beside this this idol of Dagon in this temple. It says, And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Every knee bows. Every knee bows. It's just like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a powerful image of the glory of the dominion, of the power and of the authority of Christ Jesus the King and of His kingdom. Everything in heaven, everything on earth will bow now in this life and in the one to come. And so when we, when we, again, when we look at the kingdoms of old, when we think about dominion, the kingdom that had the most, let's say, or the kingdom that had the strongest military influence would be in dominion. So let's say, you, you, you see, look in history, particularly biblical history, Egypt had like a very good army. Remember they had all these chariots and stuff like that. And so they would go out and expand their territory because they had military might. After them, the Assyrians, you know, they had military might. Even Israel at one stage in the time of Solomon and David, they had military might so they could take territory. And so when we think of, of dominion, we think of, a, of power, we think of a force that's at work. And so like I said, it's like there's this, there's this power, there's this force in the kingdom of God. It's like a, it's, it's a military strength, but not like anything we can understand not like anything we can see. There's nothing 
that can stand up against the power and the dominion of the kingdom of God and not change. An interesting passage of scriptures in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is about to be crucified. Um, in that story, the guys come to arrest him while he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says, Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the one guy's ear. Jesus says to him, he turns around to Peter, it's like, what are you doing? Basically, he says, do you not know that I can ask my father and in one moment, he will send 12 legions of angels. This, was the, the, this is the strength of the power. This is the, 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 and that's not even all the angels. But in a moment like this, at his command, things change. At a moment like this, he, he, he extends authority, he extends dominion. And so there's two passages of Scripture I want us to look at, that I want us to see is that both in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm, that the kingdom of God reigns that the kingdom of God has dominion. So the first one is this in Daniel chapter two. We're gonna look at verse 31 to 35 and then verse 44, Daniel. It's after the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. So in Daniel chapter 22, sorry, Daniel chapter two, there's this king, right? His name is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he has a dream, and Daniel comes to interpret this dream for him. And so in verse 31, it says, You saw a king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel goes on and he gives an explanation of what the statue is. He says, the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you, that's your kingdom. The chest of silver, that's the kingdom that will come after you. And then the thighs and the feet were different earthly kingdoms that would reign. But then he says this in verse 44. It says, and in those days of those kings, the king of God will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and God. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And so God comes in his kingdom, and, and what he's saying here is that Anything on earth, anything, <clears throat> excuse me, anything in the natural is subject to the kingdom of God. Whether it's a political power, whether it's a, a sickness, whether it's a storm, whatever it is, anything in the realm of earth, it says yeah, that the kingdom of God has dominion over it. In case, it actually says the kingdom of God crushes every other kingdom. 
smashes it. It says it's as fine as dust and the wind just blows it away. The second scripture I want us to look at is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 28. So that's the natural, but here we see the dominion of the kingdom in the spirit. And so in Matthew chapter 22, sorry, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 28, says this, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only done by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But listen to this verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I read again. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's he saying? The dominion of the kingdom over the spirit. The dominion of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. No demon, not even Satan himself, can stand up against the king of kings. Not that they, they cannot challenge his authority. One word, we see it in, in, in Luke chapter four, right? In, in the wilderness, Satan comes to tempt Jesus and he goes through the process and I love it at the end. It says like, go away, Satan. It says, and in a moment, Satan left him. It's like you had enough of this little, it's like this little yapping, like, it's like, go away. And it's like, and he left. It's like, Ooh, let me get out of here quickly. You know, nothing in the earth, nothing in the spirit realm can stand against the dominion and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so we look at some more scriptures. So remember we said this morning that Jesus came to establish the kingdom and he came to show us what the kingdom looks like. Look, looks like. And so when, during his time on earth, he displayed the kingdom of God. And what we see is he displayed the kingdom dominion over various aspects. So the first one we see is in Luke chapter seven. We're gonna go through quite a few scriptures now. So Luke chapter seven, verse 11 to 17. Says this. So we're talking about the dominion of the kingdom, that nothing can stand up against it. So in Luke chapter seven, verse 11, it says, as soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. The kingdom of God 
display its dominion even over death. Even like for us, that's like, or to the, maybe if we're in the right frame of mind as a believer, it's not to us, but to the world, death is like the ultimate, you know, you, you cannot overcome death. That's it, it's the end. But even in the kingdom of God, we see that Jesus Christ, the King, has dominion over death itself. And it's not even like, oh, shucks, let me go and, and fast and, and pray. Just keep, don't bury him yet. I'm, give me a couple of hours and I'll come back. It's like he just walks up to the guy. Oh, sorry, just, excuse me. Just let me see. Stand up. <laughs> he didn't shout. He didn't like work himself up and like, ah, and look, just make this big thing. It's like one word, even a, a whisper. Stop, young man, arise up. Here we go, ma'am. Thank you, bye. <laughs> and death is defeated like that. Absolute, absolute, ex- exuding absolute authority. Exuding absolute dominion. This is the king. This is the kingdom that we have now. This is our inheritance as citizens of the kingdom. This dominion over death. Let's look at another one. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 33. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes. You guys will be familiar with these stories, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound the chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And this is, and they begged him. It's the second time it says this. And they begged him, this time not to command them to depart into the abyss. Then we know the story that they asked Jesus, don't throw us into the abyss but let us at least go into these pigs. And so if you just do some kind of like study there, a, a, a legion talks in, in, in Roman um, army, Roman military terms, a legion talks about 5,000 soldiers. This guy had a legion of demons. 5,000, let's say. The, in the natural, the people, they would chain him. They would put these big things on him and they would chain him to rocks. They would chain him to caves. But he would just like, Ching! break off the chains. Nothing in the natural could hold him. Jesus here steps onto the shore. This guy comes running to Jesus. 5,000 demons and they fall on their knees and they beg him, please, 
Why have you come to torment us? Please, just don't throw us into the abyss now. Please, just let us go to these herds of pigs. 5,000 demons. And the king says, go. And they go. His dominion. Guys, it doesn't matter what the torment is. Before the king, one word from the king, and those things go. Whatever the torment, whatever the oppression, generational curse, all of that stuff, one encounter with the king of kings, one encounter with the Lord of all dominion, all authority and all power, those things flee in terror. They beg Him for mercy. There is no match. He is matchless in all His ways. If we go back up a little bit in the same chapter to verse 22, it says, One day He got into a boat with His disciples and He said to them, Let us crow across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were with danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? gets even more wild. Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. In the morning as he was returning to the city, talking about Jesus, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves, the dominion, the authority. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. Listen to this. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? This is the dominion of the kingdom. That even natural elements obey. What I want us to see, and hopefully you can see this, there is nothing Whatever, whatever is on your spectrum, whatever your giant is, whatever that thing is that, that's come against you, there's nothing on that spectrum that can stand before this man, that can stand before this king, that can stand before his, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And it just... I mean, we could just spend the whole night reading the miracles of Jesus and just like getting fired up here. <laughs> Let's read another one, Mark chapter three. Verse one, it says, and again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. I saw this. I was up in Hillcrest and I had to get some plumbing equipment for that house we're building in Kwan Yusso. And then I saw this guy, it's like his arm was hanging and he was just using the one hand 
like for everything. I thought, okay, maybe his arm saw or something like that. And I was gonna, I was, I was gonna ask him, can I pray for him? And then I got a glimpse because he lifted him, he swung his arm. His arm's normal, but then from here it just shrinks. And it's like his 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 hand was never fully formed. It's like a little, like a little, almost like a little baby hand at the end of his arm. It's like discolored, and it's just like he has no use of his arm. And then, being the great man of faith, when I saw that, I just decided not to pray for him. <laughs> but that that what this is that's what that is. It's it's a withered hand. And so Jesus the greater man of faith. And so they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of the heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored. A physical deformity. If you, again, if you study this, the, 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 I forget the term, but it's something that the man would have been born with. It's, it's a physical deformity that he was born with. His whole life, his hand was withered. It was not grown properly. It, was, it just hung. One word. From the, from the king of all dominion. One word from the king of all authority. Stretch out your hand. It's just like, it's, he's the king of glory. He's the king of majesty. One more. It's probably like my favorite one. Matthew chapter eight. Verse one says this, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So before we go any further, if you've read the Old Testament and you've read the Levitical laws, there was a law that said you shouldn't touch a leper. In, in that day, leprosy was like super contagious. There was no cure for leprosy. But actually, if you don't know leprosy, it's, it's a flesh-eating disease. So if your skin or like came into contact with the, the, the virus of leprosy, it will begin to eat away like literally eat away. Like these guys would walk and then their arm would just like fall off because you know, the virus has eaten away at them. So you don't touch a leper. You don't even come near them. These guys, they had to, to have a bell and they had to ring this bell and say, ding, 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 unclean, unclean, so that everyone would know not to come near this person. They weren't even allowed to live with everybody else. They had to live in like a leper camp. And so here this guy, he approaches Jesus, says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And, and listen to this. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Saying, I will be clean. And listen to this. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
There is no sickness. There is no virus. I don't know what's happening in your body. There is nothing that can stand before the dominion of Jesus Christ. And so whether it's over natural laws or spiritual powers, the kingdom always triumphs. Everything that comes into contact with the kingdom changes. Say again, everything that comes into contact with the kingdom changes. I wanna read one more testimony before you, one testimony to you. So this is, um, you guys have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Okay, talking about the dominion of the kingdom. I'm gonna read this, this testimony to you. It says, it's surely one of the most remarkable cases of a miracle was when Smith was staying at the home of a curate of the Church of England. The man with whom he was staying had no legs. Smith suddenly said to the man, go and buy a new pair of shoes in the morning. A most astounding thing to say to someone with no legs. No doubt thinking Smith was totally insane, the curate retired to bed and then the Lord spoke to him saying, do as my servant has said. The curate rose early the next morning and was waiting at the shoe store when the manager arrived to open up. Upon entering the store, he was approached by the assistant who asked if he could help him. The curate replied he would like a pair of shoes. The assistant, realizing the condition of the man, hesitated before replying that they could not help him, obviously referring to his condition. The curate, seeing his dilemma, said, I would like a pair of black shoes, size eight, please. The assistant returned with the shoes, and as he put his one stump into the shoe, a foot and a leg instantly formed. The same thing happened with the other leg. Smith was not surprised, and his comment was that with God there is no difference between healing a broken limb and forming a new limb. Multiple times throughout the scripture, is a statement that says, with God, nothing is impossible. And that's true. Not kingdom to come. That's true kingdom now. 